Josh Norris with your winning goal. Sends take down the Leafs. Welcome to the program. Steve Warren along with the coach Greg Kennedy. Greg, how are things with you? Things are very well, Steve. Very good out here in Slave Lake. Excellent. You got to celebrate that. Did you celebrate the uh, goal properly? Oh. The win over the Leafs? I'm going to celebrate the win over the Leafs. I'm going to sell it. I got a glass already poured here of Canadian rye whiskey from the good folks at DunrobinDistilleries.com, our fine new sponsor. And let me pour you one as well, Greg. I'm in. And uh, there you go. Well, that's a hell of a way to end a season. You're not going to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? Just beat the Leafs. And I think a good chunk of the fan base is pretty damn happy with that. You know, it's a small thing. But, I mean, you always like to win your last game. That's usually what Stanley Cup champions are saying. But if you're going <laughs> to miss the playoffs, it's nice to win that final game and certainly finish on the run the, the Ottawa Senators were on. And that was something like, I think, a 10-3-1 and run since the NHL trade deadline. So it's kind of important to go into the offseason feeling good about yourself. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that it was the Leafs in the last game. <laughs> exactly. So we'll get into that and a whole lot more. The biggest thing we're going to probably dig our teeth into is Pierre Dorian holding court with the media and some of the things he was asked about, some of his answers. And so it's another episode of Dissecting Dorian. Do we have music so, for that yet? Well, we do. Uh, it's not very good. It's still the same <laughs> little jingle that I threw together, but uh, <laughs> okay. it is what it is. Anyway, uh, before we launch in, though, I'm keen to know your ice dogs. Uh, for those who are new to the show, uh, Greg here is a coach of the Slave Lake Ice Dogs out in Alberta, and you guys are into playoffs now. What happened this week? Uh, Two-game sweep. We're on to the finals, Stevie. It was a. It was just no contest. We uh, we scored eight goals on the power play in game one, an 11-3 victory, and then uh, took game two, eight to four. <laughs> just a yeah, first-round best of three, and the finals will start uh, Friday the 21st. Friday right. is the long weekend. We're starting the finals. Very good. Uh, did COVID run through the other dressing room or something? Or <laughs> with all due respect? Well, as you know, we um, I overhauled the entire lineup by the March fifteenth uh, deadline for the roster freeze. Um, I had I only had two guys left from when I arrived in November on March fifteenth. So we we well lots of lots of COVID leagues shut down. So we were able to pick up a lot of players from here and there and everywhere and put together a pretty good lineup. And then right after guys started leaving me, guys get injured, guys got school commitments, guys have jobs, the summer jobs. So we lost a lot of players. So we struggled for a little bit, but uh, we were fortunate for at least for game one of the, of the semifinal here, a a couple of guys came back to make an appearance for the, for game one. One of them stuck around to play game two. So we had a little more firepower in the lineup. That's all. Very good. There's your Ice Dogs update. Good luck in the final. Um, Thank you. We should get into things here. And uh, before we hear from Pierre Dorian, who held court with the media, uh, maybe we should, um, with the Ottawa Senators' 2020-21 season now in the books, how did you feel about things, Coach? Well, that's a lot of 20s. What was it? Yeah, 20, it is. 20, 20, 20, 20, 21, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think it probably played out a, a, about – um, as we let's let's say the result was about what we thought it would be. I don't know that uh, that the ups and downs and the start and then the uh, the veteran signing and the failure of them to produce anything and none of that was probably predicted. But um, the season was about the way you thought they would be, right? Under five hundred, non playoff, but establishing an identity, giving kids a chance to play. Um, continuing the rebuild, continuing to roll along in your rebuild and, and watching the development of these young players 
into integral roles, I guess, is a, the way you put it, and the, the idea of taking a step. And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think the trade deadline to me was the turning point. Um, you, you'd seen signs, there were glimmers, there were flashes, but I, come the trade deadline, that's where you saw some veteran guys head elsewhere, guys like Mike Riley to Boston. And I think at that stage of the game, the kids realize because they've been told all year, right? These kids, they need mentors and uh, they're not ready yet and stuff. It's like that that probably does a little bit of a number on your head. It's like, oh, I guess we're not ready. And and now it's like it feels like the tether has been cut. <laughs> and the kids now, I think, around the trade deadline, they started really believing that not only are they NHL players, but this is their team now. And so the second half for me was better than I thought it would be. The first half, well, I don't think anybody could have expected it to be as bleak as it was. And I really think that uh, the veteran angle, certainly I didn't like a lot of those veteran signings for sure. Not keen on them, but I don't think it was the be-all, end-all. I really think it was more the circumstances of the 10 months off, the no exhibition games, half the roster was turned over. I think for any team, whether they sign veterans or not, that really is kind of setting you up for a really tough start. Oh yeah, for sure. And and also the fact that that your young guys were still young. So you didn't want to put them in there into key roles right off the bat. Um, and then these veteran guys that you brought in, we we all wanted to see, you know, who were going to be the placeholders. Um, they went out and they were, as Pierre admitted in his in his presser, he was looking for quality people with good character, leadership, good in the room, all that sort of stuff, work ethic and habits and things. That was far more important to to uh, Pierre and to DJ Smith than skill level of those players. So when they got here, uh, you know, it wasn't all that uh, wasn't all that pretty early. And slowly but surely, you know, some some due to injury when you lost step on step on other people stepped up. Then by the trade deadline, slowly but surely, moving people out, moving people out, people get injured. Slowly but surely, more and more responsibility was given to those kids. And by the end of the year, like you just said, there's there's a full bore ownership there from those young guys, and and they stepped up and did the job down the stretch. It was it's it bodes well for the future. I guess, um, and I don't want to come across as being a proponent of those veteran signings because I wasn't really um, right. I really thought they were past it uh, because they had them last year and we spoke of it. Right. And and you reminded me of it when you said the placeholders, right. Or the veteran bandaid, whatever you want to call them. Right. I felt like they did that already last year with <laughs> Ennis, Hainsey, Nemesnikov. Okay. We're past that. Now this year is going to be a fresh start and it will be the kids team. And I got to say, you know, I would wonder if the kids were made to believe it was their team earlier, maybe the run starts earlier and maybe the playoffs aren't a pipe dream, but uh, we shall never know. Yeah, yeah, it's, some, it's something we'll never know. We, we, we've sort of, my, my thought on it is um, they needed character veteran guys. I just think they got some of them wrong. They got the wrong character veteran guys right. and they gave minutes to, to Art, Artem Anisimov early that he should have been getting and, and Derek Stepan and even Galchenyuk and what the list goes on of guys that I just didn't think should have been here. But we don't know what's going on inside that room. We don't know what happens at practice. We don't know what conversations are held between some of these you know, mentor-protege type relationships. So so who knows? According to Pierre, um, he was thrilled with these guys and everything was perfect and it worked out the way they wanted it to. So 
So, hey, who are we to argue, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that's what uh, we'd all do if we're in Pierre Dorian's role, right? Um, whether he believes it or not, uh, <laughs> yeah. he's putting a very positive spin on everything. And I think you can make an argument that he has a right to. His statement at the start of the year was something along the lines of, we have to take a major step forward. And the way it started, it sure felt like that was not going to happen. But based on what we saw, at least in the last month, it feels like they have taken a step forward. And so let's uh, head to Pierre Dorian's season-ending state of the team address that he had as we record this, I think two, three days ago now. And uh, he began with a general statement about the Sen season that was. I just want to emphasize the thing, the important things for us this year as a group is that we knew the importance of the growth of the kids and, and our young players, and that happened. It happened at a really good rate. We've got a great core of young players here. Um, I think our work ethic uh, was impeccable. How we played was the right way we need to play to win, and we saw that at the end of the year. I think there's in, for the last two years, probably there's only a handful of games through each year that we felt we didn't give our best effort, and that sets a great foundation for us moving forward. I think the biggest thing is, obviously, we all know about a terrible start of the season, but I think through adversity, you build a lot of character, and that room built a lot of character, and now they can police themselves. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not absolving from our start this year, but at the same time, uh, we feel that we really grew as a team, and we can't wait for our fans to come back in our building and see us play, because I think everyone will be extremely happy with the product that we're going to put on against. Is it safe to assume that you do feel like this team did meet expectations and maybe even at times exceed expectations? We had to be realistic with our expectations. I don't think we were going to be a playoff team this year. Uh, I think with the start that we had, we, were, we had a, a long uphill climb to build, a long uphill battle uh, to have. But at the same time, uh, I think we exceeded expectations for the simple point of view that this year was about a few things. It was moving the rebuild along to a place that we'd be very comfortable with, uh, was the development of our younger players to take an integral role into our team, which we seem to do, and to us to take a big step. Uh, if you look at it, and again, it's very, you got to be careful when you compare, but of the seven teams that did not participate in the play-in or the playoffs last year, we were the best team. And it was going to be, we knew that these seven teams would have a hard time you know, because you didn't play for such a long time. And I think most of the seven teams had a more difficult start. Um, but but that's just part of the game. But we just feel that uh, we, we definitely uh, met and exceeded expectations. And we're really looking forward to next year. All right. So we definitely met or exceeded expectations. So let's dig into that first of all. Do you feel like that is the case or not? Pierre laid it out um, in in part of his answer to one of the first couple of questions from from Gord Wilson. He basically said their expectations were like, we know we're not a playoff team. Um, we were just looking to, what was it? He wanted to move the rebuild along. He wanted to develop the young players so that they could fill in and be integral part of the future. And he wanted the team to take a step forward. So if those are your expectations, as vague as they are, then... Yeah, I think they did meet them. I don't know that they exceeded them, but they met them, didn't they? Yeah. It's funny, the the generalities, right, that you can throw out there. Like, you're right. Whose expectations exactly? Uh, Was it it Eugene Melnick's expectations? Because as far as Pierre Dorian's concerned, those are really the only expectations that matter. And uh, and I guess we'll find out 
you know, here in the next year, whether or not uh, Melnick is happy with the state of affairs from this past season. I'm sure he's happy like everybody else is with the last month and the way things will look going into the fall. But, uh, you know, some of the signings, some of the asks where he has to go to Melnick and say, I need enough money for this guy. And, uh, well, that's going to sit a little differently for the owner than I think it is for the average fan or media member. Oh, for sure. So the, it, it's a statement opportunity. You've got a couple of statement contracts here in Batherson and Kachuk that are coming up. And what kind of a statement is the organization going to make? And and that'll be the, the salary and the term will be indicative of, of how serious they really are here and, and, and where we're moving forward. And, and it'll give you an insight into what you can expect for the next contracts for Josh Norris or for uh, Timmy Stutzla or the, the Jeff, uh, Jeff, I want to say Jeff Sanderson for uh, Sanderson's contract moving forward when it comes up for renewal. Pinto's only going to be a couple years away. There's all kinds of them waiting and waiting for their next contracts. And these two are huge now in sending a message to the rest of the players, to the rest of the league, and most importantly, to the fan base. Since we sort of touched on it, uh, let's uh, hear from Dorian because he was asked about the final year of his contract and whether anyone had spoken to him as of yet. So this is what Dorian had to say. No, there hasn't been any talk about being extended. Uh, last time I did my contract, uh, Eugene and Sheldon contacted my lawyer in Toronto, Arthur Yellen. So they, they know where he is. Um, as far as, you know what, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this for the long term. Um, you know, we've had, some we knew through the first few years the rebuild would be it'd be very it'd be more difficult uh but we're definitely on the right path and um i want to be here for the long term um but I, the one thing that i never worry about my contract if it goes to june 30th and we sign something on june 30th i'm more than okay with it just to be just to have a chance and to be part of this organization is an honor and uh, i look forward to uh being at the helm for uh, many years to come if that opportunity comes so that's not a particularly great sign. No one's talked to Pierre Dorian about an extension on his contract. Um, he sounds a little, you know, honestly, he sounded a little concerned. Sounded like he wished someone had talked to him by now. Well, I think I think uh, it's interesting to note the last time that he signed an extension, um, it was in February. So that was mid-season, uh, or actually close to late season, the last time he signed an extension. So maybe that plays into your your thinking here so that it doesn't have to be happening right away and we shouldn't read anything into it if it doesn't happen before the season. Um, both of them need to get re-upped at some point, um, both of them as in Dorian and DJ Smith. So maybe it is something, maybe it is a wait and see, maybe it is a show me what you can do or, you know, in the case of... Uh, of DJ Smith, it's definitely like you just said, let's see what he can do with a decent lineup. So, so maybe you give him till Christmas and see how he's doing before you extend him. As for Dorian, it's, it's, um, Hey, you want to wait for another free agent season, another draft and see how he does and then make a decision. That makes sense too, for in, in his case. So I can understand maybe not having to do it right away. I, I just think that as a coach, uh, I'd want one. I'd want my contract before the season starts, but but who knows how it's going to turn out. Right. Let's get some actual news in that Artem Zub has re-signed with the club. He gets a two-year deal worth $5 million. That's an annual cap hit of $2.5 million. 
Zub will get a $1.75 million for next season, and the year after that, $3.25 million. And uh, I think those are fantastic if you're looking exclusively at term and, or sorry, exclusively at money, but it's the term I think that some of us are raising an eyebrow at, Greg. Yeah, you're you're giving up here um, free free agency years that you could have been buying out. Um, he's he's gonna get four or five come free agency I mean, if he continues to develop as he did this year. Uh, in two years, it's gonna cost you a lot of money to keep him, and I really think they missed out here. This is this was an opportunity to to lock somebody in long term. Now again, we don't know whether it was the player didn't want long term or the organization didn't want to go longer. Who knows? I just think that there was an opportunity here to to lock this guy up beyond the the two years, beyond his, what, he's going to be 27, beyond that, into his late 20s, maybe even take him into his early 30s. There was an opportunity to lock him in and keep him here for a long time. If if Jake Sanderson were rolling in and he were a right-shot defenseman, then it might start to make sense with JBD and and Sanderson, but I'm just thinking, I don't know. Uh, you've yeah. got so many left defensemen that would make sense if this was a left defense we're talking about, but Zub is a right shot and they're hard to come by and Zub was really good. And it was only his first year in the league. I know he's an older rookie, but it's still his first year in the league and there was a learning curve and I was impressed like hell. In fact, if you make me choose right now between Zub and Zaitsev, it's no contest for me. I like Zub better. Uh, I just thought he was steadier defensively and uh, that's just my feel. The Zaitsev contract plays into it. The length of it and the money you're spending on Zaitsev plays into trying to lock up Zub long term. The other thing that plays into it, and Pierre went into this in in his press conference, he was he's been very very impressed with the play of uh, Lassie Thompson in the last three weeks down in uh, in Belleville, um, and and projects both he and JBD to be top four D someday. So okay, if if Lassie Thompson and JBD are going to be in your top four, where does Zub fit in? So maybe you don't go longer than the two-year deal that you that you signed them to. But are those guys ready to be in the top four in what will be three seasons from now? Like at the end of two seasons, will those guys be ready to be in your top four? Whereas Zub will probably still be available to. So you maybe need to speed up the, the, uh, the development there in JBD and Lassie Thompson so they are ready to step in when this Zub contract expires. Yeah, you know what? I forgot all about Lassie Thompson, I'll be honest. Another right shot defenseman back there. And another name you could also throw into the mix as well. Uh, and they, they remain sky high on this player, though I'm concerned about him. And that is Eric Brandstrom, who actually has said many times that he prefers playing the right side. So maybe they feel like they're covered on the right side and they just didn't want to, with so many guys that need to be paid here in the next two, three summers, uh, they just don't want to be investing massive amounts on on, on Zub and that they feel like he's not he's good and they like him a lot but not that level of game breaker where he's going to be the difference between winning Stanley Cups or not right and, and like like I think we're in agreement on the maybe wait and see give it a couple of months into the season before you talk to DJ and Pierre Dorian about extensions you've got the same option on a Zub you can sit on Zub knowing you've got him for two years and watch the progression see who wins the battle between Mete and Brandstrom, see how Lassie Thompson and JBD are looking on the right side, knowing that Sanderson is going to come in on your left side. And if you're not liking the development of any of those people, then you can always go to Zub before that contract expires and extend them early. 
right? It, you don't have to wait till the end. All right. So Artem Zub is um, is back as an Ottawa senator for at least the next two years. Who knows? Maybe he falls in love with the experience and ends up resigning, and uh, we'll see what the future holds. But certainly, it's a stabilizing force on that back end for the next couple of years. And uh, by the way, Artem Zub is our player of the week. I don't know why he did. I don't know if he did anything particularly special here in the last week, but he signed a new deal. So that's enough for me uh, to be our, uh, our uh, Dunrobin distilleries.com player of the week. Certainly Artem Zub had a fine rookie season in the NHL, helping stabilize a shaky Ottawa blue line this year. At age 25, not your standard rookie, and that comes from six years of pro hockey before arriving in Ottawa. He helped St. Petersburg win a 2017 KHL title, and a year later, he helped the Olympic athletes from Russia win Olympic gold. So winning tends to follow Artem Zub around, and he's competing right now for Russia at the World Hockey Championships in Latvia, comfortable with a new two-year contract from Ottawa he just signed last week. Artem Zub, our Player of the Week, presented by Dunrobin Distilleries. Just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now, and Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and they recently launched Earl Grey Gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. DunrobinDistilleries.com, where will your spirit take you? You can call it whatever you like, Steve. As long as I've got my glass of Dunrobin here on ice, I'm good. There you go. Sip away, my friends. Sip away. <laughs> Marcus Hogberg. He's in Hogberg. the news. I don't it doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to figure that out. Because I'm still hearing people call him Hogberg, by the way. Uh Marcus Hogberg is done as an Ottawa senator. And I'm sure to you that uh, comes as no surprise. No surprise at all. Uh, he um well, in the end, he found himself to be the odd man out. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't necessarily happen due to play. It happened more due to injury. But uh, no, I, I, there's, there's, uh, there's a logjam there now of, uh, of guys to play second or third or fourth string goalie. So you don't necessarily need hoggy hoggy around anymore. Well, and that's there was a point in the season where DJ Smith blurted this out at one of his post-game press conferences. I don't know what his post-game. It was one of his press conferences. He said, uh, and, and really a, a great piece of truth that fans need to keep in mind. We can't develop everyone. You know, <laughs> you know you, you've got what? You've got 50 contracts. You can't have 50 players in the NHL. And at some point, guys who were highly touted when they arrived on the scene or highly touted at points in their career, you have to turn the page on some of them because, well, it's just in. There's only spots uh, for 18 skaters and two goalies. And Marcus Hogberg, the team has so many guys in front of him right now that are just better goalies than Marcus Hogberg is at this stage in his career. So he'll probably, uh, I don't know, maybe he'll find a, a gig as a backup somewhere. I kind of doubt it. I suspect probably back to Europe, but uh, we shall see. Meanwhile, uh, there was a little bit of goalie analysis in the press conference with Pierre Dorian as we continue to dissect Dorian. And this is what uh, Dorian had to say about how things are going between the pipes. Oh, we've got a lot. I feel we have quality and quantity at the goaltending depth position. Um, I think we start from top to bottom. Uh, you look at uh, Matt Murray, he'll even admit to you that he didn't have the start of the season that he wanted to. After we made the goaltending change, I think we saw the the goalie that we traded for and signed. 
uh, Anton Forsberg came in here and I think did a did a great job under difficult circumstances. Yeah, you ask a person to go through three different quarantines in a whole year. He came in here, gave us some solid play nets. Um, we uh, yesterday um, we let Marcus know that most likely he will not be back next year. Uh, Marcus Hogberg, uh, and we thank him. And there's he was a hardworking guy, great guy. But uh, at this point in time, we feel we have some better options. You look at the the two younger guys. Well, Joey's not that young. Uh, uh, Joey Decord. Came in, played well, you know, when he was asked upon in difficult circumstances uh, with Matt going down there right before uh, a game. Uh, Philip Gustafson probably provided some of the best goaltending of any of our goalies that played this year for the Ottawa Senators. And from day one, uh, when he got in the net in Belleville this year, you could ask Troy, and he was probably his best goalie. Um, then we got Kevin Mandelays, who was, you know, the Quebec goalie, won the goalie of the year for the Quebec League last year. He's had an up and down games. He's had some games where he's been unbelievable. And he's had some games where he's got to be better. And then uh, you look at the two guys that um, that played overseas this year. Uh, Marilinen was the best goalie in the Finnish under 20 league. I think he's a strong candidate to be a starting goalie for the Finnish junior team next year. And uh, Matt Solgard has come into Belleville and I think out of the four games straight him, he's been our best player. Anton Forsberg gets a little love there from Pierre Dorian. You know, played great uh, despite going through three quarantines and uh, and such. Uh, I, do you figure Forsberg now that he has signed a contract? He did sign a one year deal, and uh, that is a. So speaking of placeholders, that is a yeah. goaltending placeholder, <laughs> no question about it. But does that necessarily mean he beats out a guy like Philip Gustafson, who had such a in a small sample size a terrific season? Well, yeah, because the thing is, you 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 think okay, do the do the kids like does Gustafson need more time in Belleville? I don't think so. Like uh, he's ready, isn't he? Um, to be a I don't know twenty five game a year backup, but now you've signed Forsberg, and I assume that's what his job's going to be. So then, what does that say about um, Joey Decord if he's still around? How many games is he going to get? Are they projecting ahead? that Forsberg's the backup for Murray, they lose Decord, and Gustafson plays a good chunk of the games in Belleville. Is that the plan next year moving ahead? Maybe that's that's the way they're picturing things. Maybe, yeah. Um, I mean, you want Gustafson to play, no yeah. doubt about that. But and, and certainly, yeah, maybe they think that wearing a ball cap, that's not necessarily a, a great idea for a kid that's uh, still as young as he is. But, man, he's the, he's the, he's the, he was the best goalie they had this year. Yeah, and I keep forgetting he's he's young because it it just seems so long ago that the the trade right he he was in the um, the Pittsburgh trade the three way deal that looked like yeah looked like robbery at the time but then when you remember that Forsberg was in it or sorry uh, Gustafson was in it wow you know now it looks pretty good right that trade so how old is he he's like twenty two isn't he Exactly right. And by the way, Jacob Bernard Docker was the draft pick they ended up with. Yeah. I mean, the, the trade doesn't look so bad now, does it? You know? No. Um, but but basically, he, he probably spelled the end for Hogberg, right? Like, um, 
Hogberg was an original senator draft choice, like a third rounder, I think, and was touted to be a you know the goalie of the future at the one time in this team. You know, six foot five, big, huge Swedish kid, and all that stuff. And then it's the first sign that maybe Hogberg wasn't working out the way they wanted was the deal to bring in Gustafson in the first place. And I think that both the play of Decord and Gustafson spelled the end for Hogberg. And if Gustafson being as young as he is, then okay, fine. He's going to play every game he can or as many games as he can down in Belleville next year. And therefore you need a backup uh, with some experience at the NHL level. And that's, that's Anton Forsberg. What's he about? 28 29 now so he's probably a legitimate good good call to be the backup yeah and if you look at the stats of the five guys who played nets for the ottawa senators this year um marcus hogberg was the worst um it was a 3.74 goals against average in 14 games an 876 save percentage 876 ladies and gentlemen yuck yeah matt murray had a bit of a resurgence to improve his stats he was the next worst, 3.38, 893 save percentage. And then you go to Joey Decord. And Matt Murray, by the way, played 27 games, so it was by far the biggest sample size. And then the other guys played eight games, uh, eight and nine games, the other three. Joey Decord, eight games, 897 save percentage, 3.27 goals against average. Anton Forsberg net next, 3.21 goals against average, 909 save percentage. And so there's the four. And then finally, Philip Gustafson. I mean, if 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 you didn't know anything about the contracts and uh, you didn't know anything, you hadn't seen any games, and you were just dropped in front of the stat sheet of the Ottawa Senators, you would say with one hundred percent certainty, you would gamble the lives of your family to say that Philip Gustafson is the best goalie on this team and will be their number one next year because his stats were so inferior, so superior to everybody else's, a goals against average through nine games, 2.16 and a 9.33 save percentage. There is no contest. Gustafson should be given a chance, if all things are equal, to be their number one this fall. Well, yeah, he's a full, over a full goal against uh, better and over 20 points higher in save percentage for the next best. Like, that's very, very impressive. So, yeah, he should be here next year, but he's still only 22. We're building for the future. We want him to play more. He's going to end up in Belleville, I'm, I'm, or he's going to end up in Seattle. Oops. One of the yeah. two. He won't, he won't be playing for the Senators next year, barring injury. I don't think he'll be here. Maybe halfway through the year or three-quarters of the way through the year, maybe you make a deal with Marcus Hogberg at the trade deadline, or sorry, with uh, Anton Forsberg at the trade deadline. You ship him out, and you bring Gustafson up, and he finishes the year in Ottawa. And who's ever left in Belleville if Joey Decord's still around? He he takes on more of the games in Belleville to finish out the season, and you're, you know, you're moving the situation along. Maybe that's what ends up happening. Yeah. I think about that expansion draft and – I know I've been kind of vocal on, I don't think Seattle is going to be that interested in any of Ottawa's goalies anyway. I think you know, the more I look at it and the more I think about it, there's just such, when you look at the skaters, like Ron Francis will eventually mosey on over to the Ottawa Senators roster, and he's got to take one guy. And I think he's going to be so underwhelmed by the skaters that are available just the Sens have yeah. really done a nice job of framing things so that they're not going to have to give up anything particularly valuable from a skater perspective. They might just go ahead and say, oh, I don't like any of that. Uh, <laughs> why don't we go over and take one of these young goalies? And you know, there's that Gustafson guy. He's got 
crazy stats. And if Gustafson's available, um, I am sort of putting it out there that just almost from a default position, if you're Ron Francis, you might go ahead and take a flyer on him because he's so underwhelmed by all the skaters that are exposed in Ottawa. Okay, so here's a question, Steve. You're Pierre Dorian. Are you going to look into maybe making a trade of uh, with, with Seattle? Send them something else to say, please don't take a goaltender, but take Ryan Dezingle or Chris Tierney instead? Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. And, uh, and certainly Pierre Dorian doesn't want to go down that road either. Correct. He was asked about that as we continue to dissect Dorian uh, about, you know, whether you, you know, what do you think is going to happen with Seattle and such? To answer your question before we get to that, though, I think mm-hmm. that I would, I would uh, expose uh, either Decord or Matt Murray, take your pick. Gustafson is the one guy that I do not want to lose between the pipes. In this whole process, that's the, one, that's the one name that I do not want to see come off the roster, and Dorian can easily make that happen. But he's certainly not worried about it. Uh, he sounds like a guy who's just going you know, to kind of resign to the fact we're all going to lose a good player. We're all going to lose a, a decent asset, and, uh, and, and they're not going to go and make these side deals to try and, and avoid Yeah, it was that. interesting to hear him say, um, why lose two players when you're only required by rules to only lose one? Yeah. You know, why should I trade somebody and lose somebody instead of just losing one, which is probably better in the long run, just to lose one goalie. If 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 the uh, Las Vegas situation expansion draft uh, proves anything, it's that some of these teams really screwed themselves. Uh, look at the, the Florida Panthers really screwed themselves in the expansion draft, uh, the pre-draft wranglings and deals and all that sort of crap. So, yeah, you, you, you leave a, a Matt Murray and his contract exposed, and you assume that Seattle's not going to take them, and if they do, you you turn the page and you move on. Yeah, that was uh, when you think about that. What was that deal that Florida made? Something along the lines of, uh, I'll tell you what it was. Is it Riley Smith? You traded Riley Smith. Yeah, take Riley then- Smith so that we can protect. I don't remember who it was, but so so Vegas said, all right, we'll take we'll take Riley Smith in this trade and we promise not to take so and so. And then who'd they take? They took Jonathan Jonathan Marsh's show. Right. So in other words, two thirds of their second line yeah. came from Florida. Like, what are you are you nuts? <laughs> yeah, that was a, a big old misread. No and, and some teams were even you know giving up first rounders to avoid yeah. certain players being selected. So uh, it was uh so I don't know if it was Winnipeg or Vancouver. I can't remember exactly, but somebody gave up a first rounder. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's the exact thing that Pierre Dorian does not want to get into. No, we're still a work in progress. Obviously, we've known for the last few years that Seattle was going to be in the league. We knew um, we knew that you know we were going to lose a player. Uh, the way we went about it last time, um, obviously I had some talks with George about possible trades, but we just felt, you know, why lose – two or three assets when you're going to lose one. Uh, I'm not saying that's exactly what we're going to do, but that's the way we're thinking about it. And that's the way, you know, you look at what other teams did and we had no interest in doing that. And it could be different. I've talked to Ron Francis a few times. He's a guy that I have tremendous respect for. Uh, but at the same time, I told them they paid 550 million and he corrected me. He said, we paid 650. And I said, well, you're going to get a good player from us, whomever that might be. But unless, we have to listen to whatever trade possibility they could propose to us. But at the same time, we like the path that we went down the last time. And why lose two or three assets when you can only lose one? All right, continuing along with uh, Pierre Dorian's season-ending state of the team address, he was asked about Tim Stutzla and 
what he thinks about his future. We saw someone who's a dynamic offensive hockey player. We saw someone with great speed. We saw someone that has high-end skill. Uh, his hockey IQ is unbelievable. Uh, we saw someone that w- could play in harder games and difficult games. We saw someone that, uh, you know, I think at one point in time will be an elite NHL defenseman, a superstar, and uh, elite NHL winger, pardon. Uh, I think someone will be a superstar. We know he hit a bit the wall here uh, in the last month, but um, he never stopped working. Uh, what I what we like a lot about him is he's uh, on top of being a top talent, he's got a lot of character and he's really driven to be the best player he can be. And that really bodes well for our organization and our fans. I guess you chalk that up to what else are you going to say? But he does uh, say that he thinks that Tim Stutzler will be a superstar in the NHL. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm that confident, but I certainly think you've got a high character, excellent hockey player. If we're talking superstar though, in the, in the realm of, I want to, Connor McDavid is in his own league, but uh, <laughs> if they, if you're talking about a guy that's, you know, going to be in that tier below McDavid, I'm not sure I see that yet, but uh, what else is Pierre Dorian going to say? Yeah, exactly. What else is he going to say? This is his prized, his prized possession, his, his uh, big draft choice. And yeah, he's going to say the kid's a superstar. I'm going to be a superstar. They're the same way that he, he talks up, uh, Eric Brandstrom, much to the dismay of, of many fans in Ottawa, um, as until proven otherwise, he will be pumping the tires of, of, of his prized draft choices. So what do you think he tops out at as far as points go? In, in his prime, Tim Stutzler will be a blank point scorer. Oh, well, I'd like to think he's a 40-goal scorer someday. I'd like to think he could push 100 points. If he truly is, quote-unquote, a superstar, then he better better be getting 40 to 50 points a year, and he better be getting more than 100 points. We're approaching it every year. What what do you think? Uh, I think he probably taps out at a a 30-60 mode. I don't don't see necessarily the the consistent finish. He had some highlight real goals, don't get me wrong, but I, I just see a guy that maybe has more of a setup mentality than a sniper mentality but you know it's one year who knows what he's going to be and it's not just one year we saw zub for one year that's an entirely different first year in the nhl than we saw out of a 19 year old kid and uh i think if i'm not mistaken i looked up and down the rosters i think there was only two guys in the entire league that were younger than stutzla and nobody who played full-time in the league, like all games basically, as a regular. There was nobody younger than Tim Stutzla. So you obviously, when you put him under the microscope, you obviously have to look at Tim Stutzla through a different lens than any other rookie. Oh, yeah. And not only playing regularly, playing regularly up the lineup for a good stretch. Yep. I mean, he played up and down. I guess at the end of the season, he was probably, I don't know, what you call that, the third line? Yeah. But uh, but played important minutes, um, played a fairly regular shift all year, and he's just a kid. Um, it, it'll come. Uh, I, I think I think you're lowballing him there. I, I think uh, if he's truly a top three forward in the NHL, then he's he better be producing forty goals and hundred points. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's if he's going to be a superstar. And, yeah. and my guess right now is that uh, he might slide in just under that. But uh, yeah, I hope he is. Don't get me wrong. Then I have a question for you then. All right. 
you can't be successful without at least one, if not two, really, really, really good. I won't say the word superstar, but really, really good forwards, right? So who are those guys going to be in the future here? Yeah, um, you're obviously going to have a heavy reliance on major growth on a lot of guys. That top line, I mean, they're all going to have to at least double their output that they put forth this year. I mean, keep in mind, this this team in a league where the leading scorer in Connor McDavid at 105 points, the Ottawa Senators' leading scorer at 36. <laughs> okay, I mean, but 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 it's a legitimate question, right? When this team was was at its peak, you had Heatley, you had Spezza, you had Alfredson, you had, you had Hosa in his in his good years here. Um, so, who was going to be that hundred point guy? I I don't think it's Shane Pinto. I don't think it's Brady Kachuk. I don't think it's Josh Norris. I mean, that they're all going to be really good. Uh, Batherson's going to be really good, but do you not need a 40, 45 goals a year guy? Do you not need one or 200 point guys or at least 90 point guys? Who, who in all of the talent and all of the depth that this organization has, the one thing that's always been kind of missing and kind of nagged at me is where's the superstar? Where's that elite, elite level guy? Lots of really, really good guys, but I don't see an elite, elite level guy. Yeah, I, I, it's like your take on DJ Smith. I don't know yet. You know, yeah. it's it's to me like it's it's like asking me a bunch of kids skating around on the canal, and I'm watching them on video. And it's like, which of those guys is going to be the legend? And it's like, well, they all look like they can skate like well above. They're well advanced for their years, but it's really difficult to say exactly who's going to emerge from this group as a sniper. I will say that I think all the usual suspects: Kachuk, Norris. Batherson, Stutzla, those guys in there, there's probably going to be a couple of guys who are point-of-game guys. I don't know if you need to necessarily have a 100-point guy. As long as you play the game the right way, you're balanced, you can roll the lines and such, you're you're still going to have a chance. Uh, You'd love to have a McDavid in your lineup for sure, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a a good question because uh, we were all fairly impressed with these guys this year. But mm-hmm. when you when you talk about Stanley Cup level offensive output, you know at least two or three of these guys are going to need to triple the offensive output that they had this year. Well, if there's any question that the biggest thing on Pierre Dorian's to do list this summer is to get Brady Kachuk signed. Drake Batherson also has to be re-signed. And Pierre Dorian was asked about how he plans to approach those signings. We know the importance of Brady and Drake to our team. Uh, and, you know, we haven't really uh, done anything right now. Um, but at some point in time, uh, we will start discussions with both camps. We, we felt it was better with a shortened season and so much pressure, I think, on Canadian teams. We felt that just letting him play this year was probably the right path to go down. And uh you know, we get contracts done, we'll get contracts done here. And uh, I think uh, both players are very excited to be here. They're both an integral part of our lineup, as long with other RFAs and Victor Mete, uh, Philip Gustafson. Um, so we, we know we got some other guys that we have to sign. They're going to have to, obviously, this summer. And then they talked about it. DJ Smith did, Pierre Dorian did. But they're going to have to sit down, the three of them, along with Eugene Melnick, um, and, uh, and really talk this thing through. 
And Pierre Dorian was asked about the question of captaincy is next year after basically, what's this now, three, four years now without a captain since <laughs> Eric Carlson left? Um, is this the year they're going to come up with a captain? This is what he had to say. When it comes to captain, and I'm going to take a bit of my time to answer this because I really want our fans to understand the importance of naming a captain. Um, three people have a say in this. Obviously, our owner, Mr. Melnick, has a say in it. Um, DJ and myself. And people are going to say, uh, why does Mr. Melnick have a say in it? Well, we're we're a hockey team in Canada, and it's important that the captain reflects the values of the organization, of the ownership, of the general manager, of the coach of the organization. And and at some point in time, um, you know, we've had, I think our leadership group has moved along well. At some point in time, whether it's early next season through the se- through the season next year, we will name a captain. All right. So not necessarily naming a captain at the start of this coming season, which would seem strange to me. You know, if you get Brady Kachuk done, it'll be some level of long term. I think it's either four or five or eight. Um, I think there's no question in my mind, and it'll seem absurd to me if it doesn't happen. And on opening night, this guy's wearing the C. What about you? And I think that there's no question in Pierre minds, Pierre's mind either. Um, he's just uh, docking the question for now until the contract's done. And it's probably announced the same day. Hey, uh, Brady signed a new deal. It's this many years at this ridiculous amount of money. And by the way, he's now our new captain. I think right. that probably gets all done the same day, right? I would think so. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, if it doesn't get done. I mean, fans are going to burn this town down. <laughs> the deal isn't right, and he's not the captain. Like, what is going on? I'll never have to try to remember the name of the damn arena, which sponsor name's on it anymore, because it won't be there. It'll be burned to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and um, as we change gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about the World Hockey Championship, isn't it interesting how the rosters are affected by the crazy season that was, COVID and such? Um Everybody said no, basically. And most, I mean, obviously, they got some exceptions. We got uh, Connor Brown, Nick Paul. I thought both those guys would get invites from Hockey Canada, and they did, in fact. But uh, you look at a guy like Brady Kachuk, and you think maybe contract had a hand in him saying no to Team USA. Yeah, it, it's a standard uh, reason that players don't go. Insurance becomes extremely expensive when you don't have an NHL contract. Um yeah, maybe, I, I guess probably in past years it's used more as an excuse. Um, whether that's the reason, you, you got to believe he was invited, Steve, for crying out loud, right? You know he was invited to play for the U.S. and you know that he said no right. or else he would be there. So what's the reason he said no? Let's say because he didn't have a contract. Right. And certainly the the COVID factor and the long season and all that. Sure. That, that's I mean, there's so many no's that are out there. Really, if you look at the World Hockey Championship rosters right now, it really resembles the last Olympics with the oh, NHL yeah. not there and basically Hockey Canada having to scramble. And, and not just Hockey Canada, Team USA as well. Um, they're all scrambling to try and fill out a roster with decent hockey players. And, you know, there's some exceptions. Obviously, Connor Brown and Nick Paul, the two guys that I said last week, should be invited by Hockey Canada mm-hmm. and were. Um mm-hmm. There's some good players on there. Don't get me wrong, but it, it ain't the caliber that they normally get to go to the Worlds. Correct. And and I'm sure the Drake not having a contract probably factors in on his his decision as well. 
because you got to believe he would have been invited. I remember we, I, I mentioned this, uh, in an earlier show, um, I once read or was told probably if I was told it was confidential, but anyway, um, Canada, hockey Canada usually receives somewhere between 60 and 80 no replies. Wow. Think about that. eh? And what is it this year? Cause it's clearly gotta be more. Oh, it's gotta be way more. I mean, I, I don't know what this year is. I just, I, I had the conversation with someone again, I either read it or someone in the know told me years ago that it's between 60 and 80 every year say no thank you right so i think that's the bigger factor even than uh, contractual status i mean you look at team usa just for full perspective on the number of no's that must have been out there for full perspective team usa on their blue line has two (laughs) former ottawa senators they have chris weidman chris weidman ladies and gentlemen and christian willannon right and he he was just kind of he's He's been scuffling in L.A., as I understand it, since the, the deal went down. So that uh, that gives you a feel for how different things are and how many guys are just at a stage where it's like, okay, this has been a weird season. I just want to go home and hit a golf ball. Unless you're in Ontario, where that will continue to be a problem for you. Ooh, uh, nice shot. Ouch. I mean, come on, Greg. <laughs> like, right now, let me, last week, Doug Ford basically said, um, we're extending this to June 2nd. There'll be no golf, uh, because I know how it is. You know, you get together with your buddies and then, okay, it's fine with the golf and everything, but I know you guys get together afterward for your, have a few pops and that's the big issue and stuff. And I'm like, what are you crazy? Like to me, the situation is this. If you are a person who would be getting together for pints after a round of golf in the midst of the pandemic and the, in the situation Ontario's in, if you're that person, you're going to get together for beers anyway, even though there is no golf. Those guys aren't stopping whether there's golf or whether there isn't golf. Anyway, that's a sideline thing. <laughs> you know what, though? I just I just looked at Team USA because you brought it up. Wow. Right? <laughs> Brian Boyle's on the team. See? Brian Boyle. Like, no, no disrespect intended. Yeah. But Wow. So you can like, see what I mean. It's not so much contractual. Yeah. I mean, that, that factors in, but it's certainly more to the oh, yeah. COVID thing, I think. There's all sorts of reasons these guys say no. Yeah. But I'm just saying the number is is a lot higher than you think. Right. Like, right. like It looks like their best player might be uh, Abracadabra there. He used to play in Detroit. Where is he now? I don't even remember. Uh, Abdelkader? Yeah. Where is he now? Abdicator's in Switzerland right now. So the best player, by your assertion, your best player is a Swiss player. Hey. Or maybe it's, is it Adam Clendenning? Is it, oh, it's Kevin LeBanc. There we go. (laughs) Whatever. There was no danger of Brady Kachuk playing for Team USA, whether he signed a contract last week or whether he's (laughs) signing it this summer. I don't think he was ever going to be playing for Team USA. But he did talk a little bit about wishing, like so many Ottawa Senator fans, that the season were just a little longer. I know a lot of us were talking about we just wish we could keep going here. It's, um, you know, we, we had a couple more games. I think we, uh, we maybe pushed for another you know, spot, but obviously it's um, that's not how it works. But um, I think it, was, it would be important uh, to win that last game because um, – Winning just makes you feel a lot better, and and uh, going to the summer as uh, no winning the last game is definitely uh, something that we wanted, and and uh, you know winning with the, you know the fashion we did, and and just we just wanted to leave it all out there, and I think that's what we did, and um, you know, we can all look ourselves in the mirror and be happy with uh, how we played this year and, and how we finished off, but you know how we left it all out there. 
Yeah, and I agree with Brady Kachuk there. I think that uh, the way they look down the stretch, they would have been a tough out for anybody. But uh, I, I will say this. I don't want to necessarily um, anoint them a Stanley Cup contender or anything like that. Or I think they do have a chance to make the playoffs, and I think they will. But uh, you also have to keep things in perspective in that we've said it in any sport, once you've been eliminated – what happens after that and the the lack of pressure or expectation drops to such a stage that you take it for what it is and it was a nice month to finish out the season, but it's a lot different, isn't it, when the expectations and the pressure of, you know, when games matter, uh, when you have a chance and when people are going, oh my God, I hope they win. You know, all those things factor into it and uh, puts a lot more weight on the player's shoulders. Yeah, but I think there there was internal pressure though. Like every one of these guys in their in their first or second year or in their early career within the role that they're playing, you had guys playing, you know, top 6 minutes who hadn't before. So there was definitely internal pressure on these players to play well and perform well in order to maintain their spot in the lineup and as a as a showcase for who and what they are for next year. So there was it wasn't a, a typical uh, wind it down, play out the string kind of roster or year. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. No, yeah, I, and I, I don't want to. Dis- I don't want to sound at all like I'm dismissing it because yeah. this last month I'm pumped about. I'm jacked. So neat to see them being playing such an interesting brand of hockey and so many interesting characters and seemingly loving each other and a lot of high character. There's so much to be excited about. So I don't want to throw cold water on any of that, but it can't be dismissed either that it is different when you're playing for real versus playing out a string. For sure. For sure. And, and, and it was interesting. We want to wrap up on dissecting Dory. And I, I, he, he mentioned something in his press conference about thinking that if you asked the other six teams in the Scotia North division, um, they would all tell you that Ottawa was the toughest out and Ottawa was the one team that they, they didn't enjoy playing against. Yeah. And I found that interesting. And the other last point that I'll, I'll make on Pierre's conference was that he said, um, that uh, and I didn't even know this, but of of the seven teams who didn't make the play-ins last year, uh, they they finished first out of all of them this year. So whatever that's worth, is there a special trophy for that? I don't think so. I don't think no. so. Anyway, uh, closing it out uh, today, uh, not just dissecting Dorian, but the show itself. A tip of the cap to probably the greatest goalie in Ottawa Senators history, and that is Craig Anderson. Guy turns 40 on Friday. He and I share a birthday, by the way. Won't tell you how old I am. I'm considerably older than that. Uh, But uh, Anderson, who turns 40 on Friday, came in for injured starter Vitek Vanacek and led the Capitals to a 3-2 overtime win at home. And that was the first playoff appearance for Craig Anderson in nearly four years. The last we saw of him, oh, baby, we were excited. We were so excited. Uh, yeah, but it was a uh, tough, uh, yeah, I wish I hadn't gone down this road now, but it is, <laughs> it is the last game in the playoffs that he's played since the 2017 conference final double overtime and, uh, Chris Kunitz. Oh, I hate you, Chris Kunitz. But, uh, anyway, you need, need to see Craig Anderson have one last moment in the sun. Yeah. I mean, and good on him. Good on him for sticking it out. He thought he could still bring value to a program somewhere in this league. Um, I, I think the Henrik Lundqvist uh, 
injury probably helped. Uh, so so Andy gets a spot there in Washington. Yeah. He waited it out. He was their third string guy, essentially uh, on the taxi squad most of the season and flipping in and out to practice. And good for him. You know, he's there and he's a veteran and a savvy veteran at that and, and one who has a, a very good career playoff record. So uh, good on him and good on the Washington Capitals for, for signing him to fill that role. And, and hey, when you needed him, there he was. Yeah, and uh, it could be it. I mean, he might get a chance to start again in Game 2, but it looks like uh, Ilya Samsonov, who was on mm-hmm. the uh, COVID list on the weekend, it looks like he might be off in time, but uh, not sure exactly where things stand now. But uh, that's kind of a neat way to end a career if that's uh, how it goes down. But uh, one way or the other, it was definitely a cool moment for, like I say, the best goalie the Sens have ever had. Uh, with that, we should call it a day, Greg. Any final thoughts before we uh, we, we call it quits? I hate it when you do that. See, I got to start writing stuff down. You know, like <laughs> I should write something down. Here's my final thought for today. Well, your Islanders got to win in game one. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I uh, I did pick the Islanders to uh, upset the Penguins. Um, the only other upset I picked was Boston to upset Washington. We just finished talking about what went wrong there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's kind of cool that the playoffs have started and and uh, and they started before the season's over. You know, I may I, I don't know if I want to talk about gambling on the show, but I did put a couple of shekels down on your Islanders. Oh, well done! Yeah, to win you. it all. I mean, to win it all, not just win this series, to win it wow. all. Wow! Well, just because the number when you look at the futures, yeah, and that's such, probably pretty good, eh? Yeah. Well, yeah, they were down, uh, you know, bottom third of the league. So yeah. the payoff will be considerable for a $50 bet. So I said, you know it's what? The, Let's do it. <laughs> and it's the end of an era. Fort Never Lose will be shutting down. Uh, at some point in time through these playoffs, it'll be the, the last game ever played at the uh, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Uh, I was thinking today watching. Now, that game itself was in Pittsburgh, but um, I'm watching that game today, and I'm thinking this really makes me nostalgic because it was an absolutely – beautiful hot afternoon here mm-hmm. and I'm watching the Islanders and uh, for several years now they've had the old jerseys back and I got thinking about Bobby Nystrom scoring in overtime like it seemed like that 1980 cup final or that Stanley Cup run it felt like almost I don't know every other game was a was a hot afternoon the game was being played and I'm probably totally wrong on that but that's just the the nostalgic memory I have of it and I uh, kind of felt some of that this afternoon watching that uh, that game. Well, you're, you're right on the final one. Sunday, May 24th, uh, 1980. It was an afternoon game. So you are correct. 7-11 of overtime. Nystrom from Tonelli and Henning. Right. right. Not that yeah. you uh, remember. Not it, that I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good stuff. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's call it a day, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. For sure. Have a good one. And as we head out the door, don't forget you can contact us anytime. We love your feedback. We want to thank Dunrobin Distilleries. You can see them at dunrobindistilleries.com. We invite you to share and subscribe to the show. Become a show member. Our website is sensnationhockey.com.